Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and this is the special Bracketology edition of the Take 10 Podcast. It's the most wonderful time of the year as we're creeping up on Conference Tournament Week and Selection Sunday and March Madness itself. Uh, this episode is coming out on Friday, March 8th, so we're just a few days away from the Big Ten Tournament tipping off here in Chicago. And I wanted to get a couple of bracketology, bracketeering, whatever you may call it, a couple of experts on to break down anything and everything related to March Madness, uh, bubble talk, and overall hoops discussion here on the show. Both guests are guys that I've had on before. Um, first is Brad Evans of Yahoo Sports. He brings the energy, as he always does, to everything he does. And he's a great interview extremely knowledgeable and a lot of fun to talk to he's our first guest and we talk a lot of uh national and big 10 basketball um big 10 tournament and ncaa tournament as well and then after that um about a year after we had him on we brought back eric haslam he's the founder of haslametrics.com the site uses his own self-invented algorithm to rank and seed college basketball teams and implement some wrinkles that other of the more popular college basketball ranking systems do not have. So, unique perspective from Eric. Glad to have him back on as well. So, with Eric and Brad combined, it is a extremely insightful and deep college basketball discussion, which I think we've uh, kind of lacked all college basketball season long, so I wanted to get nothing but hoops jam-packed in um, to one episode and, and just get expert analysis all the way through. So we'll get to Brad first in just a second. Before we do that, a couple of reminders here on the show. Please remember, if you have not already, to subscribe to the Take 10 Podcast on either iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, or on our YouTube channel. Uh, the Take 10 Podcast playlist can be found on BTN's YouTube channel, which you can, can subscribe to just like you would uh, with the podcast if you are streaming and have not already subscribed. Please feel free to leave a rating or review as well. Uh, always love to hear feedback and always appreciate uh, any star rating or comments you can leave for us on uh, those respective platforms. All right, with that quick reminder out of the way, let's get to Brad Evans of Yahoo Sports, their in-house fantasy football slash bracketologist for the show. Obviously, we have him on to talk college hoops and we talk a ton of it. Coming right up here on the Take 10 podcast, that interview with Brad starts right now. Fired up to welcome Brad Evans back to the show. He's Yahoo Sports resident fantasy football expert and bracketologist. So, of course, we're having him on for some March Madness banter. And if you want, you can follow his Twitter antics at Yahoo Noise. Brad, welcome back. Hey, man. Uh, I'm glad I didn't screw it up the last time. So it's a pleasure to be back. And it's the greatest time of the year. It's Merry March Madness season. That's what I was going to say. This time of year, you know, it's the best for guys like you and me. I had to ask, what's your setup? How are you kind of consuming all these games as we come down the stretch and uh, conference tournament play is just a week away? Well, uh, it's a multi-screen experience for me. I've got the uh, 70-inch uh, big-screen TV in the living room, uh, tequila within arm's reach, and then I've got my computer open, my phone as well. You know, I'm, I'm watching and juggling about three, four, five, seems like ten dozen games at once uh, as I'm betting the field still trying to figure out who's in who's out uh, what bracket line they should fall on and then you know come in state tournament time 
Uh, I'm going to be in studio this year in Los Angeles because we're going to be doing a sports wagering themed NCAA tournament uh, show for the first time ever on Yahoo Sports. And I'm super geeked about that. Love it. I was going to ask with that glorious weekend, you know, the Thursday through Sunday with all the games going on, you got to have some sort of green room type setup. But what's the studio going to be like there if you've seen it or if you've uh, gotten word? Is it going to have a a multi-screen setup, man cave style? What's it going to be? Yeah, very much a man cave style, kind of like Big Brother meets the NCAA tournament. Uh, so we have a studio where we do a show called Mostly Football uh, that sits vacant this time of year. They got couches and comfortable seating, and we're going to put in like Papa shots and a dartboard in there. I think we're going to have like a tiki bar in the back, uh, all kinds of fun stuff to interact with so we can get up, move around. As we're digesting the games, uh, of course, we can't show the games live because we can't afford those rights. Uh, but we do have highlights that are part of this package. So we'll be able to you know, talk about uh, you know, certain buzzer beaters, be able to show some of the evidence uh, as it unfolds. I think there may even be a confessional in uh, the offering, too. So that, that could be a lot of fun with all of us having a little bit of action on the line when it comes to our bracket pools. Love it. And, and it's mostly football. Is that the one that Josiah Johnson runs? Um, uh, the Yahoo I guy. believe so. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not on that show. It's uh, that's Martellus Bennett's show, uh, along with Liz Loza and a couple other cast of characters. But I, I don't know a lot of the guys that are behind the scenes. But yeah, he could be. Yeah, because one of the he's a uh, former UCLA basketball player. For some reason, he follows me on Twitter. I, I loved his show, uh, Legends of Chamberlain Heights. So I, I follow that Yahoo content coming out, and he cracks me up. He does a lot of uh, football stuff with I think Martellus, and then. A lot of uh, LeBron and, and NBA impersonations. So a lot of the stuff that's come out of Yahoo is, has been really great and fresh lately. Yeah, we appreciate that. We're uh, you know trying to break new ground, trying to spin things a little bit differently. We're, we're uh, the casual uh, perspective. Uh, I don't believe in a tie. Uh, I think they are the devil's spawn. So I prefer just T-shirt and jeans, hanging out and talking sports. I'm with you on that. I haven't worn a tie in quite a while. I always go with the jacket, no tie look. So I'm with you on that. Uh, also, Brad, I must say, scrolling through your Twitter feed, your use of, of GIFs is always on point, uh, talking about the kind of, you know, the casual, fresh angle. You know, last le- the last 24 hours alone, you've used Charles Barkley, uh, Stephen Colbert, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and some cat GIFs, among others. So I, I'm just wondering, do you have a, a database you go through, a list of go-tos, or you just use that kind of convenient little search tool that Twitter provides these days? Uh, the search tool, whatever strikes me in the moment, uh, when Seton Hall had that stirring 18-0 run to close out Marquette last night, and that might have propelled the Hall officially in the tournament, and I stumbled, I, I just searched pirate, and anytime you get a cat in a pirate costume, uh, that's automatic. So, yeah, that's how I found it. It was, it was some good stuff. All right, I love it. We'll get to some... Uh, Actual basketball talk here, you know, enough with the enough with the social media fun. Um, and just off the top, I wanted to get your explanation as a bracketologist of what makes a weak bubble and why this year's bubble is so weak. Because, um, you know, it's kind of a, a broad term, and every year it seems like we say it. But this year in particular seems worse. So what is a weak bubble and why is it weak this year? Yeah, this is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. Uh, Look, whatever adjective you want to describe to it, I call it the suckiest, the weakest, the most god-awful bubble I have ever seen in nearly 15 years covering the NCAA tournament from a bracketology perspective. And the reason I say that is if you even go back two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, usually at this point on the calendar, you know, as we're a little over a week away from Selection Sunday – 
you could argue there's upwards of eight, maybe even ten teams that are in the conversation for the last four spots. This year, it's a struggle to find five or six to fit the mold of those last four and enter in that uh, discussion, that conversation. So uh, I think that's the appropriate measuring stick of where things currently stand and, and just proves how rickety, you know, the back end and how just really awful it is the back end of the projected in-state tournament field is. And, you know, there could be some teams that, uh, you know, stamp, uh, you know, certain signature wins here down the stretch in their respective conference tournaments or in the last weekend of the regular season that could boost the profile, kind of come out of nowhere and be like, you know, this team really should be squarely on the bubble right now. They have entered into the circle of trust, at least for the devices of this exercise. Uh, but I really honestly do not see many teams that could possibly – catapult themselves into that discussion that's just how weak it is does a weak bubble like this year's in particular say anything about the strength of the college basketball as a whole or or is it like i said a downward trend or does it just happen to be uh this year that it, that it's so soft well i mean it's a sample size of one uh, i think it's an anomaly i don't know if it's you know it could establish a new trend uh, that's certainly within the realm of possibility but you know, this is something that is standing out um, as a sore thumb compared to years past. So, you know, I think it's a storm that uh, the game will weather. Um, you know, obviously the game is in a, in a great deal of uh, evolution and, and transition right now. You know, with all the uh, the FBI uh, dealings and, and the ongoing investigations. And we're hearing, you know, today from my colleagues at Yahoo Sports, uh, tapes that they acquired tied to Will Wade, the head coach of LSU, which are pretty damning. So, you know, the game's changing, and if the NBA, you know, reduces the age limit to 18 for players to enter the draft, uh, I actually view that as a positive for college basketball. Uh, so the four or five kids that, you know, may be uh, talented enough to take that jump from high school to the NBA, they will no longer have that obstacle in being forced into playing college sports for a year. And I think you'll get a lot more committed kids, which will be able to establish uh, better chemistry long-term over two, three, four years. And maybe we get back to where college basketball was in the 80s and the early 90s with these veteran savvy teams that, you know, I've been playing and it seems like, you know, like Jess Settles. It seems like Jess is <laughs> still at Iowa. You know, or Luke Recker still at Iowa. You know, <laughs> it's always those Iowa guys. I know. It seem like they've been there for eight years. But, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I, I think this is beneficial for the game long term. And it gets back to, you know, the weak bubble uh, is, is more of an outlier than it is, I think, a, a recent trend. But we'll have to see, again, based on uh, the transformation that the game is undergoing here the next couple of years. It's funny you brought those two guys up because Jess is a, a friend of ours here. At BTN, he's always one of the most friendly guys walking around. And then Luke, I actually just talked to a couple weeks ago for a project we were doing. He's super nice as well. So, like, you know, you being an Illinois fan, I'm sure you hate um, the Iowa guys who seem like they were around forever. But in reality, you know, they're just they're just nice, cuddly guys. So I know I hate to shatter that. Uh, I just hate Bruce Pearl. That's <laughs> the only person I loathe <laughs> for for reasons that are understandable. If you're an Illinois fan, well, Brad, I tend to agree with your line of thinking about how the one and done rule could change and you know positively impact college basketball. Uh, I think we're on the same page there. But shifting back to the weak bubble discussion and how that impacts some teams this year in the Big Ten that might not be in consideration otherwise. Uh, for the listeners, uh, you know, point of view here, we're recording this on Thursday, March seventh. It'll drop tomorrow, Friday, March eighth. So when we talk bubbles, Ohio State 
has already lost to Northwestern as of this recording, but Indiana has not played Illinois yet. So I was looking at your bracket as of today. You currently have nine Big Ten teams in. How precarious are Ohio State's and Indiana's positions as of this recording? Uh, they're, they're on some loose ground. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Let's start with the Buckeyes first. Uh, you know, a team that with Caleb Wesson, they're a completely different animal. Um, you know, right now, obviously struggling, uh, getting beat up, uh, by Northwestern and people say, well, that's a bad loss. Well, not really. Uh, every single team in the big 10 currently ranks inside the net top 100. Um, and losing a road game, you know, it, it's, it's not a knock against their profile at all. It's not a bad loss. Ohio State does have one quad three loss, no quad four losses. But with four quality wins, those key quad ones, um, and playing, you know, a, a tough schedule, top 55 nationally, I think that's enough for the Buckeyes to dance. I have them projected right now as an 11 seed. Uh, but again, you, you have that $64,000 question hanging out there in the ether. Uh, whether or not, you know, when is Wesson coming back? Um, you know, Chris Holtman has said uh, he'll be back at some point. Uh, we would presume maybe for the Big Ten tournament, uh, at least maybe for the in-state tournament if they do make it. Uh, but that is something that is going to play a factor in the selection committee room when they are vetting the field and scrubbing it. Now, transitioning to Indiana, uh, I am still in the bracketology minority on having uh, the Hoosiers in the projected field uh, among about 150 or so bracketologists that are tracked on the bracket matrix. Uh, only 22 of us, uh, me being one of them, have Indiana in. And again, I, this is not my Big Ten bias. This is me speaking as objectively as I possibly can. My job is to project what the selection committee is going to do. It's not what I think. It's what I think they think. And Indiana satisfies a couple of key things that the selection committee always looks at. It's all about who you played and who you beat. And Indiana right now sports, again, at the taping of this pod on Thursday before the Illinois game, a strength of schedule of 27. They have six quadrant one victories. Now, to kind of put that um, in the perspective in regards to quadrant ones, you know, some other teams that are firm tournament teams that have an equal amount of quad one wins. Maryland has six uh, as we speak. Uh, some other teams that are there, Texas Tech. Uh, which is a projected three seed, also has six. So Indiana, if they take care of business, again, if they or if they took care of business, if you're listening to this on Friday, against Illinois, and they beat Rutgers. And I think if the Hoosiers win two games in the Big Ten tournament, they're dancing. And let's say they stumble, whether it was, it was against Illinois or against Rutgers, or maybe they stub their toe early in the Big Ten tournament, then they're on very soft ground, and I would be sweating through my shirt if I'm Archie Miller on Selection Sunday. But right now, their resume is better than a Clemson. It's better than some of these mid-majors with gaudy records like a Murray State. Uh, it's better than Creighton, which has come on strong. Uh, I think Indiana, if the tournament started today, would sneak in. We know Archie and his brother Sean have been known to be a family of sweaters, so it might happen regardless. <laughs> Can we get those guys a deodorant sponsorship? You know, they, I mean, they could be ambassadors for Speed Stick or something, right? Or Old Spice. Well, Tim Miles told me uh, he wears the Thompson tee. If, if you've heard of oh. that, it's like an undershirt that that wicks the sweat, and that's how Tim Miles can get away with wearing a uh, just a dress shirt and no jacket on the sideline. Because I was I was befuddled by how he got away with that. Well, maybe Kermit Davis at Mississippi yeah. needs to invest in something like that because uh, he's number one in the wet uh, coach t-shirt contest. There's no question about it. Unrivaled in that category. Exactly. So before we move on, Brad, I uh, want to talk about the bubble team we have not discussed yet in the Big Ten. That's Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota, 
in my eyes, solidified themselves um, for a, a bit in the dance, barring something unforeseen with their win over Purdue. Uh, what would they have to do at this point to drop out of the field? They're currently a nine seed in your bracket. Yeah, I mean, I think they're very firm. They got an overall net of 54. And look, uh, the, the singular net measurement isn't the be all end all. It, it's merely a sorting tool, just like the RPI was when it was used previously. But you look at the uh, the nitty gritty on the Golden Gophers, top 50 overall strength of schedule, that's a positive. And the 162 non conference strength of schedule, not the greatest, but it, it's not too damaging. And three quad one wins and no bad losses. They don't have a single loss to a quad three or quad four team. So Minnesota's going to dance. Uh, and I agree with you. I, I think they, you know, jumping off the top rope, uh, applying the old uh, flying elbow to the jugular of Purdue, uh, solidified their position of earning that at large. So, you know, you look at Goldie, you know, this is a dangerous team because the front court, uh, Amir Coffey, has just been playing out of his mind. Uh, you know, back-to-back 30-point efforts. He was the first player to do that in, like, the last 14, 15 years at Minnesota. Uh, the rest of the season schedule, you know, you got a tough – row the hoe here especially finishing uh at maryland uh but even if they lose that game which of course would not be a bad loss uh the terps looking right now to be a five seed uh in my projected uh bracket big board layout but you know that's a team that even if they lost in the opening round of the big 10 tournament uh i think they could you know slip to maybe a 10 at the very lowest an 11, and let's say they run rough shot and make it all the way to the finals, they could climb as high as a 7. So there's a lot of variance in where uh, the Gophers will wind up. But again, right now, if you're a Minnesota fan, you got to feel pretty damn good about them earning an at-large. All right, moving on now to Big Ten teams who are safely in the tournament. I want to get your thoughts on if the Big Ten has a Final Four caliber team, in your opinion. Um, you know, there's a couple of top 10 teams, borderline. Um, Purdue probably I would I would include in that category as well with the Michigan teams. You think any any team out of the Big Ten is uh, going to make it to Minneapolis or has potential to? Well, I think Michigan has the most potential uh, because of the way that it defends. Uh, number three in the country, just the defensive efficiency. They're only giving up 0.86 points per possession. They've had these bizarre offensive outages at times, but John Beeline is genius. Uh, I think they're going to handle business this weekend against Michigan State in a revenge game. Uh, you know, the floor spacing of Michigan is unreal. And if Xavier Simpson is continuing to drop running hooks off the glass, uh, those sky hook shots, uh, I mean, they're going to be very difficult to bounce off in the NCAA tournament. You know, it's all about draw. Uh, but this is a team that just doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. They have one of the lowest turnover rates in the nation. Uh, and if the threes are falling, they're going to be extraordinarily dangerous. You know, you worry about uh, Charles Matthews and when he's going to be able uh, to return to the court with that ankle injury. Hopefully they get him back and, uh, you know, he can post some meaningful minutes in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, Michigan really uh, a mirror image of what it was statistically turning according to the advanced analytics uh, as it was last year at this time. So I think the ingredients are there. Uh, I think they have the best shot. Other than that, man, I have serious reservations about all these teams. I think Maryland has uh, the talent to get there. Uh, but, again, another team that shoots itself in the foot on occasion due to the turnovers. Uh, the youth, you know, it, it creeps up and can plague this team at times at inexperience. But with Bruno Fernando and Jalen Smith and the guard play that they have and their ability to play defense, 
they're playing their best ball. They can hang with just about anybody in the country. But who knows what version will show up? I mean, they could be a victim in that classic 12 over 5 in the opening round, if that is indeed where they land on that seed line. Or they could blaze a trail to Minneapolis. But, you know, if I'm putting my money where my mouth is, I would say that the Wolverines uh, probably pack the most punch in terms of making it deep into the mecca of college basketball. Yeah, I agree uh, with the concern over Charles Matthews. I mean, just how close they're keeping that to the vest and how it kind of came out of nowhere worries me a little bit. I think they need him back to make a significant run in the dance. But um, You mentioned Xavier Simpson's hook shot, the Kareem sky hook. Uh, I just want the nation to know that I believe I'm the first one to coin the Captain Hook nickname. It, it popped up on the broadcast. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Harlan was saying it. Beeline was saying it. I said it, I think, over a month ago, and we, we kind of amplified it here on our BTN social media. So spread the word, Brad. Captain Hook, um, when you hear it come up, there was a, a BTN invention. You can drop my name. Feel free to do that, too. I, I'm, I, look, I'm, I'm actually scribbling this down right now on my uh, pad of paper here for my notes. The Captain <laughs> Hook, I will give you credit. And what you should do is emblazon that on a T-shirt well, uh, because you can make a little bit of cash if Michigan does make that stirring run to the Final Four. <laughs> well, the overdose of swag was the Jordan Poole T-shirts that I saw walking around San Antonio last year. And between you and me, Brad, I made uh, some extra coin in college selling some John Gross T-shirts. So uh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, li- limitless potential with a last name like Gross uh, and applied to <laughs> Illinois basketball and how it performed uh, under his watch. But, yeah, well played. <laughs> All right. Uh, you mentioned Maryland also as a team that potentially, uh, at least you know, on paper, they have the talent to, to make a run. I agree with you there. There are any other teams in the Big Ten that, that might – be a sleeper threat in the tournament. I think Wisconsin is a team that presents matchup issues for some teams, but also uh, has matchup issues to come back thrown in their face um, against certain teams, like against Western Kentucky we saw earlier this year. Also, Iowa can get on uh, hot streaks, but they also are prone to big slumps as well. I didn't know if you had thoughts on any other Big Ten teams that uh, have potential to make some noise. Yeah, I think Wisconsin's an excellent one to throw out there just because of their style of play. You know, they like to sock you in the face in a half-court setting. Um, You know, Ethan Happ has had his uh, limitations, uh, particularly at the free-throw line. And, you know, I I go back to the Illinois game, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago and how he sat out the last three, four minutes because he was a liability in a tie contest. Uh, You hope that he can get over the hump and and start knocking down some of those freebies in critical situations because he's so valuable when he's on the floor for the other things that he does. But it's great having second chance opportunities, backing defender down in the box, kissing it off the glass, uh, you know, swinging the ball around at the perimeter and the way that Wisconsin shoots threes, I mean, 38% leading the pack of the Big Ten uh, in action in that category. Uh, I mean, he's he's a key asset. And, uh, yeah, they're interesting. Um, Wisconsin always is. And great guard, I, you know, I've said this time and time again, I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in the country. Uh, a guy that just gets it done the right way, uh, fantastic coach, maximizes the performance out of his teams, much like his predecessor in Bo Ryan. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin will be an interesting and a difficult draw for just about anybody out there. I, I still think Minnesota's got a lot of capability just because of the matchup problems that they could present with the size that they have. You know, Amir Coffey essentially running point at six foot eight. Uh, can shoot over just about anybody. And when those shots are falling, and, and he has been habanera hot here down the stretch, and that carries over in a, into the NCAA tournament, I mean, they're going to be an extraordinarily difficult out to go along with Jordan Murphy and a Turu, uh, you know, banging inside. Kalsher, um, you know, a guy that can get hot from outside, shooting 41% from distance. Uh, that's a team that's really interesting, and they play excellent defense. And I'll throw the ultimate dark horse at you. 
let's say hypothetically Penn State wins the automatic berth <laughs> in Chicago. Um, they're 30 to 1 to do it, according to Sin City. Uh, I may or may not have a little action on that. I think this team is very talented, playing its best basketball. Now, they got a scare. I mean, they were killing Rutgers. And Rutgers made an extraordinary comeback, and Penn State held them off there, had to, you know, fight them off with sticks at the end, but end up winning by the slimmest of margins. But with Stevens and Watkins, and with their size and their ability to play defense, uh, they're tough, and if they somehow sneak in, probably get seated as like a 12 or 13 if they were to get the automatic berth and win the Big Ten tournament, that's a team I could see winning a couple of games. And people are going to be like, how did that happen? And I'm like, it's always been there, but they're just unlucky. So I think Pat Chambers has got this team ascending right now, and they are, the Nittany Lions, the most dangerous team in this year's Big Ten tournament. Yeah, Pat Chambers pointed out last night, in his postgame interview, and I guess he's pointed it out before, and it's kind of been a running, I guess not joke, but but uh, a point that he's brought up, that they're, I think, the second most unlucky team, or in the, the bottom 10 in terms of Ken Palm's unluckiness rating. I think they're like 346 or something. And so Chambers uh, pays attention to that and, and brought it up. And yeah, you're right, they've got grown men on that team, and they're fun to watch because they run, and they're physical, and they dunk. And uh, I agree they can make some noise, at least next week, in Chicago. Um, Brad... Expanding now beyond the Big Ten, we'll stick with the sleeper theme. Looking across the mid-major board here, I'm looking at some, some names that could make a, a run. Uh, Houston's not going to sneak up on anyone because they're top 15 team. Buffalo's a team that's been hanging around the top 25 all year. And then there's uh, Nevada, who made some noise last year, and he's led by our fellow Champaign Urbana native Jordan Caroline, as long as his hand is uh, recovered from punching that fire <laughs> right. extinguisher. Uh, so, who do you like this year uh, as maybe this year's version of Loyola? Oh, I think we got to start with the Walford Terriers uh, out of the SoCon, a, a league that I have. I'm on record for saying, and I'm standing by. This is better than Pac-12. Um, that may not be saying a whole lot because the Pac-12 is dreadful. But uh, that Wofford Terriers team, they got some gunners, man. Fletcher McGee is uh, going to soon be a household name. Uh, if you've not watched him play, I've, I've had the pleasure of watching him a couple of times this year. Uh, they are one of the most electric three-point shooting teams in the country as a club. They net right around 42% beyond the arc. And you might think to yourself, oh, do they have any size? And they do. And a lot of you know mid-major teams, when they do have like a 6'10 or 7-foot guy, you know, outside the Mike Doms of the world at South Dakota State, uh, a lot of these guys have two left feet, right? They're clumsy, they're disorganized, they're disoriented, uh, but they've, they've got some guys on that front line that go 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", that are athletes, that can hang tough. Uh, I mean, they, they hung tough with North Carolina in the first game of the college basketball year for both teams, and uh, hat tip to Roy Williams for going to play to mid-major on their home floor, you know, Carolina got the best of them, but they were very competitive. Uh, they were competitive against Oklahoma. They were competitive against Mississippi State. That was the last team they lost to. That was back December 19th. Uh, you know, they went unblemished in the regular season, the SOCON. And I just, I love teams that can fire it up from three and play at least adequate defense. And the Wofford Terriers certainly, um, you know, pack a bite in both of those categories. So I, I like them quite a bit. I am projected right now as a seven seed. So if you're a two seed, uh, maybe a Michigan State, for example, do not underestimate Wofford if they do match up in the round of 32. Uh, digging a little bit deeper, I love Belmont. Um, you know, the Bruins out of the OBC, everybody's talking about John Morant. 
Uh, that is going to be a one-bid league, sadly. Uh, Morant may be the star of the NIT, and ESPN would love that. <laughs> so more people would watch the NIT. Heck, maybe I'd fill out an NIT bracket <laughs> if, if that were the case. Uh, but I think Beaumont is the superior club. You know, you can throw all that, uh, you know, all the matchup stuff out the window uh, on a neutral floor when it comes to the OVC title uh, and, you know, punching the ticket. And hopefully these two teams will match up in that title game because it would be great television. But, you know, they've got an NBA prospect as well and, and Dylan Windler. A uh, guy that shoots almost 43% from distance. Uh, they got some experience mixed in with some talented freshmen. Um, and, you know, y- you look at the coaching staff there and Rick Bird, and Rick Bird's one of the more kind of like Bob McKillop at Davidson, probably one of the more underappreciated coaches on the national level who just continues to win year after year. That team, another bunch of great shooters. Uh, you know, they are very efficient on the offensive end. Defensively, they lag. But, look, if you get hot offensively and you're firing off, you know, like a a steaming, smoking pistol, uh, then, you know, you're impossible to knock out. So they could be a Sweet 16 team. I like them a lot. I also like VCU quite a bit. The opposite reason why I like Belmont, because VCU defends and the Havoc defense that Shaka Smart installed is alive and well. Uh, They're forcing a turnover close to 24% of opponent possessions. All right, love it. Some, uh, Some great sleeper picks there. Moving from sleepers to some of the favorites, uh, some usual suspects are going to be in the discussion, your, your Carolinas, your Kentuckys, your Dukes, uh, intriguing teams at the top also. Uh, I like Tennessee and Gonzaga, but I'm going to shift uh, the question to a guy who's not on the court right now, and that's Zion Williamson. Uh, do you think without Zion, and even if he comes back, and I, I it remains to be seen if he does. You think Duke has been thrown off enough by this whole kind of episode to take them out as a front runner? We saw how they looked uh, shook against Wake Forest. Are they still a front runner for a national title contender? And and if not, who do you think is uh, the most complete package? Well, yeah, I mean, again, that's that's an unanswerable question right now in terms of Zion's status. We'll see if he even returns to the Carolina game this weekend. Even if he does, you know, I'd be curious how many minutes he plays. You know, he's going to have to knock off the dust in order to be at uh, full capacity come into tournament time. But I, I had my reservations about Duke, even with Zion on the floor, because they can't shoot. They flat out can't shoot from outside. I mean, they, they've had a couple of games in which they were white hot, the Virginia game in particular, like of all teams that you could do it against. Uh, they went out and, you know, just burned the nets against arguably one of the best defensive teams in the country in the Cavs, and they just happened to be on that night. But when you're just barely shooting over 30% as a team from three, you have limited depth. I don't, I don't see how Duke is going to get to the Final Four. Uh, you know, we'll have to see what the draw is. I wouldn't be at all shocked if they lost uh, in the first weekend, depending upon, you know, if they are two seed or one seed, who's going to be on that eight, nine or seven, 10 line where they would match up. But yeah, I, I am not buying Duke as the favorite to cut down the nets. Um, you mentioned Gonzaga. Uh, I, I wrote a piece and it'll be out probably selection Sunday night, if not Monday. And it says, sorry, haters. This is the year that Gonzaga wins the national title. So I'm all late on the Zags. This is Mark Few's best team he's ever had. They are loaded. They've got NBA talent in Rui Hachimura. Brandon Clark is – he got snubbed. He should have been on the national player of the year, the Naismith list, over Rui Hachimura. Uh, he's the guy that really is the engine of this team on both ends of the floor to go along with Josh Perkins, to go along with Kispert, uh, Petrusev off the bench. Uh, and Killian Tilly, it sounds like he's going to be back for the West Coast Conference tournament. 
Uh, Gino Crandall, remember him and Tilly, did not play in that Duke game in Maui, in which they beat him. I mean, they're they're good, and they're extraordinary. And and I think this is the year that they cut down the nets. Uh, I'm sure Virginia's going to be in that conversation as well. If you want to go with a couple of dark horses, and I know the uh, dark clouds are starting to gather over Baton Rouge with the FBI investigation, but LSU is a talented club. They're nails tough. They generate a second-chance opportunity on nearly 39% of their possessions. It's number one in the country with Big B Williams, Emmett Williams, Nas Reed, and the, and the two guards, Dynamite Guards and Tremont Waters and Skylar Mays. Uh, they defend. They've cleaned up their mistakes. They're not turning the ball over as much. And this is a really good team that I think has got Final Four appeal, and Texas Tech does as well. Uh, I mean, you could argue that there's nobody else in the country, maybe North Carolina, uh, or Virginia, or Gonzaga, so maybe a few teams, uh, that are that are playing better basketball than Tech is. And, and Tech is number one in the nation in adjusted defensive efficiency, and over the last like six games are averaging over 1.20 points per possession. That is a formula not only for success, that is a formula for pure domination. So I really like that team. Chris Beard's got some ballers and Jared Culver and Mooney. Um, Moretti has really come on as a marksman from outside. Uh, do not sleep on Texas Tech. Likely to be a three seed and could be a bracket wrecker if you do not believe in what they could achieve. Well, back to your first point, I knew Duke couldn't shoot when they kept allowing Jack White, who had missed something like 30 in a row, to keep hoisting oh my them up God, there. Yes. What was that? Did you, did you see on uh, Twitter uh, there was some bar, they had a camera um, in Durham where, you know, obviously, you know, Cameron Indoor Stadium is, is is so small that, you know, there, there's an overflow of Duke fans. And they're in this bar down the street from Cameron, and Jack White makes that three, and the place goes bananas. Just bananas. Because <laughs> a kid finally made a three-point shot. This is Duke we're talking about here. Okay? You know, Jay Williams... He would go out there and, and drain five or six in his heyday, you know, or Grayson Allen, four or five in a single, in a single, you know, half. J.J. Redick. From three. J.J. Redick. Yeah, I mean, name the Duke player that you hated most. It qualifies here. Um, and and now they're celebrating a kid who made it. You know, it's great. I'm glad the kid made it and he got the, uh, the gorilla off his back. But at the same time, this is a microcosm of why Duke will not win a national title because they cannot shoot from outside. All right, got to bring up before we wrap up, Brad, uh, your boy Bruce Weber and K-State finally uh, unseating Kansas from that number one spot atop the Big 12. Uh, I believe there's still work to be done uh, in terms of who wins that conference, but how about Brucey? He's got it humming at, uh, at K-State, almost went to the Final Four last year, and this year on the cusp of a title. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, the, the streak for Kansas is over. 14 consecutive, one of the most dominant streaks you'll ever see in, at any level of sport. You know, I compare them to uh, they're the New England Patriots, the Big 12. Uh, and it's it, it's amazing for Bruce Weber, a guy that I, I still think should be the head coach at Illinois. Um, you know, I knew that his, his time had kind of run its course, but uh, it was still decent teams that were out there. He's a fantastic coach. He does it the right way, runs a clean program. Um recruits guys that fit his system, that's defensive-centered. And I like this Kansas State team, man. They don't get blown out. Uh, Dean Wade is a matchup problem given his length, uh, his ability with the face-up game, the post-up game, uh, can knock a, down the occasional outside shot uh, to go along with, you know, guys like Snead. And, you know, they, they've got experience at every position. And, and also having that Elite Eight 
appearance under their belt. You know, they tasted greatness before, and they were one step away from the Final Four. I, I think they're at least the second weekend team. Uh, I think Bruce has just done a, a marvelous job. He almost got ran out on a one-way ticket of Manhattan, like uh, not this entering this season, but before Kansas State made it to the Elite Eight last year. And I'm like asking people in Manhattan, like, who do you think you're going to get that's going to come in and win you 30 games a year? It's Manhattan, Kansas. You know, uh, you're a little redheaded stepchild to what's down the road in Lawrence. Always have and always will be. So if you're competitive and making the NCAA tournament every single year, you should be satisfied. And uh, I think this is a you know redemption for Weber. Uh, I think he's riding high right now with supreme confidence, and it's great to see. He's one of the class acts in this game, and, and I'm thrilled for his uh, his uh, success this year. All right, from Bruce's current team to his former one, couldn't let you go without getting your thoughts on Illinois and how things are going in year two under Brad Underwood. Uh, it was looking pretty bleak and grim for a while there, uh, but they turned a corner of sorts in late January, early February. Stumbled a bit since, but I think things are trending up. I want to get your perspective. Yeah, I think their tipping point moment occurred in New York at MSG against Maryland and, you know, winning some uh, key games down the stretch. And it's been, you know, uh, two steps forward, one step back at times this year. But it's a young team. It's an inexperienced team. Uh, Georgie B has been quite the revelation this year. Uh, What a find. I mean, accidentally, really, by Underwood, as he said time and time again. And, you know, he's going to be a four-year player and a star for this team. I think Io DeSumo will be back next year. I'd be shocked if he jumped. Uh, I know there's a lot of, you know, publications out there projecting him as a late first-round pick, but his mid-range game needs improvement. Uh, I think one year and having a, a beast like Kofi Cockburn coming in, uh, who is a space eater, to match up with Georgie B, who's, you know, more of a finesse big man uh, with that Euro game, uh, to go along with another year of Andres Felice, who's played well down the stretch, uh, and Trent Frazier, and you know who else? You know that maybe get in the grad transfer market, and what other recruits that may sign in the in the late period. I, you know, I I was a strong advocate for Underwood um, when he was hired. I think he's a brilliant coach. Uh, I think it's a complicated system that he plays. It takes time to build up the culture. It takes time for everything to soak in. It takes time to find the right kids who are tough enough. Uh, to deal with the rigors of playing in such a system. And I think he's made inroads in those areas, and the future is extraordinarily bright. I I would be floored uh, if Illinois did not make the tournament next year. Uh, I think this is a team that's got 25-win potential, and I think they're going to be the upper third of the Big Ten, now pending what moves are made this offseason. But, yeah, the arrow is definitely pointing north, and I'm really excited about it. Think they make any noise next week in Chicago? Yeah, they could. Um, you know, I feel a little bit more confident about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, because of the way that they uh, create havoc and they create hesitancy due to their pressure defense, you know, they're leading the Big Ten and turnover percentage defense, uh, forcing a mistake nearly 21% of the time. You know, if the outside shots are falling, if the Sumu is nailing those transition buckets and pull-ups, if Trent Frazier is on, and Felice, if those three guys, those three guards click at the same time, absolutely they can get white hot and win multiple games and cut down the nets in Chicago. Um, but, you know, there are these uh, outages offensively that they have, and they can, you know, become zombified in, in some cases over five, six, seven-minute stretches. They can ill afford to do that. 
And they can ill afford to have Georgie B in foul trouble uh, as well, uh, just because they do not have any uh, you know, major size. De La Rosa has contributed some minutes, uh, but clearly he's still, I think, working his way back from that ACL injury. Uh, they, they just don't have uh, the front court depth to really compete with a lot of bangers in the Big Ten. But, you know, if a Purdue got knocked out early and the path gets a little bit easier and they match up well with some of these other teams that are a little bit less physical, um, you know, Penn State probably going to just straight drop kick them in the last game of the year, to be honest with you. That's yeah, a terrible matchup for Illinois. It seems like it's been a terrible matchup for 15, 20 years. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about the draw. It's all about the path. And it's all about how those, those three guards play, particularly uh, their arc execution. If, if those shots are dropping, they're going to be a tough out. It'd be fun to see uh, Illinois or Penn State or Rutgers cut down the nets just going a crazy run. Let's get crazy. Why not? Let's, let's do well, it. Well, you know, it's, it's March Madness. Yeah. We, could, we could say that for a reason. And I'm saying, I'm telling you, Penn State's that team. I, you know, I, I said it on uh, Sirius XM. I was doing radio with my buddy Chris Childers, and I was doing on the ESPNU show. Friend of the program. Yeah, yeah. A full ride with him and Fran Franchilla. And, I, and he asked me, he goes, you know, is there any sleeper? At the, at the high major level in these conference service, and I said, Penn State. He goes, are you drunk? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I mean, it's realistic. If you watch them play the last month, they're a team that's been so competitive. And, again, they're, they're veterans, you know, and they're big-bodied veterans. And they defend, and defense travels. So, I mean, they've got the ingredients, man. I, I'm really excited to watch Penn State and how they perform in Chicago. All right, Brad, final question, and perhaps the most important one, so far, um, I got to ask about your thoughts on the Alma Otter, the proposed unofficial <laughs> Illinois mascot. What do you think um, about a furry, looks like jersey-wearing uh, creature running around the, the sidelines in the, the uh, near future at Illinois? I, look, I tweeted this out. I am here for the T-shirt potential because I'll be honest with you. Look, I went to Illinois. I have my, you know, my uh, bachelor's degree from the University of Illinois. I love the the school. I love everything about it. My family still lives in the Champaign area. But it's time to move on after 12 years from the Chiefs. And I, I want to bring a little bit more fun back to Illinois because everybody takes the mascot so seriously. It's like, is an otter indigenous to the great state of Illinois? Yes, it is. Are they cute and cuddly? Sure, but they're also ferocious hunters. And nobody else has an otter. And I, I like goofy mascots. And I like it on a T-shirt. I don't want just to wear black eye stuff all the time. I want some variety. You know, Hawkeyes, they got the Hawkeye on there. Uh, Ohio State fans, they got Brutus's head on there. Wisconsin's got Bucky. You know, the Nittany line, that costume is ragged. It looks like it's been passed down for 60 years. They, You know, it's a cool, it's goofy, it's cool for T-shirts and, and merchandising and whatnot. Let's accept the realities and move on, Illinois fans, and embrace Alma Otter. And I'm a fan of puns, and I think it's a damn good one. There you go. The man has spoken. Alma Otter it is. We'll see how it, uh, how it proceeds from here. But I knew I had to get your input on, on uh, that utmost important subject. Brad, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, a lot of fun, as always. And we'll have to see how uh, the next few weeks, next month plays out. And we'll have to see how many of your picks hit. Appreciate the time. All right, take it easy, man. Appreciate it. All right, thanks once again to Brad for joining me. A ton of great stuff there. Went on for about 40 minutes, and uh, I was not bored or losing focus for a single second of it. He keeps <laughs> keeps me engaged and is a breath of fresh air on this show. Uh, one of the funniest dudes in sports media. 
and always has an open invitation waiting for him to come back on the show. All right, moving on now to one of the uh, best analytical minds we talked to here on the Take 10 podcast. That's Eric Haslam, the founder of Haslametrics.com, uh, a sports and college basketball analytics site that, as he will explain, uses his own self-created formula to rank and make college basketball projections and seed college basketball teams. Uh, it's really fascinating stuff, and there's a lot of fantastic insight that if you are you know, trying to figure out your team's odds to make the tournament, figure out who are uh, some good bracket picks, um, his website and his discussion coming up here are great resources. So we'll get right to it and toss it over to Eric Haslam. His interview starts right now. Very pleased to be joined once again by Eric Haslam. He's the founder of Haslametrics.com. It's a website which uses Eric's self-made algorithm to evaluate college basketball teams, not only on past performance, but also on future outcomes. You can follow him on Twitter, at Haslametrics, and that's with one M. Eric, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, and just off the top, for those who need a refresher or for those who didn't hear us talk hoops last year, can you explain your website and, and your system and the algorithm that you use? Yeah, absolutely. And it all kind of went back to um, my love of the tournament going back to the early 90s. I used to uh, be the first person who used to run out the day after Selection Sunday to grab my USA Today because I love picking the brackets. I fell in love with the tournament this, the, the year of that Loyola Marymount made that run after the tragic death of Hank Gathers. Um, ever since then, I've fallen in love with the tournament. And what I, and. Right around the turn of the century, I started to dabble in the numbers myself, started pulling some of the numbers off the Internet. And over you know, over the time, probably about 10 years ago, I really started piecing together a lot of the modern-day analytics that you see out there today. Well, after a while, I got kind of tired of recreating the wheel, and I said, you know what, I don't want to follow other people's paths. I kind of want to create my own blaze, my own path, so to speak. So I stepped back about five years ago. I just designed an algorithm that was based on scoring, um, where teams shoot from, how they shoot from different spots on the court, um, how they get those shots in different spots, of, like, for example, on second-chance rebounds or breakaway steals or something like that. And I just kind of started piecing things together until I came up with a system. Well, the system went from there. Um, I, I started creating projections for a lot of different people. I started a bracketology uh, portion. I created these automated team summaries that you can get on my site. And then I jumped on social media and that's where things really took off. I love interacting with a lot of different people, especially people who want to do this kind of stuff for a living in the future. So, again, I'm, I'm always out on Twitter, and I, you know, I'm always engaging with a lot of different fans out there. Just a lot of fun for me. Yeah, once again, that's Haslametrics.com. It's a great site to browse, especially this time of year when uh, you're you know, talking bubble, NCAA tournament bubble teams, or if you just want to get that night's pro- uh, projections on who is going to win. It has it all, and it's, it's fun to look at. So... Listening back to last year's discussion, getting ready for this one, um, I noticed you incorporated RPI quite a bit um, into that chat. Now this year, the RPI has been phased out, uh, and the newly introduced net rankings factor into the committee's determination. So have you integrated the net into your uh, system, and what are your overall thoughts in year one with the, the newly introduced net? You know, I, I don't really integrate the net in because I like to. I prefer to do things a little bit my own way. Um, I did the RPI did factor in just a little bit with the bracketology stuff I did last year. I took that out, so now everything with the bracketology stuff is pretty much my own. 
And the net was an improvement. I think the, 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 the big problem with the RPI, a lot of people thought the RPI was really obsolete. It was almost archaic. And I, to a certain degree, I, uh, to a certain point, I agree. But my, what I think the RPI was replaced for really was that people were gaming the RPI. People knew there was a formula for the, the RPI, and if you picked it apart, you could advantageously schedule your games so that you could look better than you possibly were. With the net, they've gone to the step now where they said, hey, we're going to break things down based on win-loss percentage, efficiency margins they've added in this year. Um, there's a lot of different factors. Um, but the thing is, they haven't given you the precise breakdown. And I don't know if anybody has tried to reverse engineer the net. I have not. I have not known of anybody who has been successful uh, reverse engineering the net. But I think um, I think that's pro- there's a, probably a reason for that. There's some people who say, hey, give us a formula. We want to we wanna calculate the net our the net ourselves and I look at it and go I don't think they will because at that point it's open to gaming the net and that's what the NCAA wants to prevent right now sure uh never really thought of it that way but that's that's uh interesting to think about um looking at your rankings Eric on your website the Big Ten does really well in your uh what's listed as performance rankings there's five Big Ten teams in your top 14 since we talked a year ago the Big Ten's obviously improved they're having a stronger year this year so what do you attribute from last year to this year, um, the surge in, in Big Ten's overall play. Why do you think, you know, being a Big Ten guy yourself in, in Badgerland in Wisconsin, why do you think uh, the, the Big Ten has fared better this year, especially in your rankings? You know, that's a very good question. I, I, I'm not sure I really have the answer to that because it's kind of a surprise. I think everybody this year had talked up, you know, it was always the same teams, the Big 12, the ACC. I think a lot of people saw the SEC coming on strong this year, but in fact, it was a team. Uh, it was a conference that nobody really suspected, uh, or, or I'm sorry, expected to get in there, and that was the Big Ten. And they, I think, they laid the groundwork for their dominance back in November and December. And the way my system works is it works based on all these different comparisons. So if Wisconsin plays Illinois and Iowa plays Illinois, you now have a comparison between Wisconsin and Iowa because they both played Illinois. They use Illinois as a constant. So you have all these comparisons like that that are created throughout the season. On day one, day two, day three, you're only talking less than 10. By the time you get to this point in the season, you're talking about thousands and thousands of them. And what happened early in the season was the Big Ten had all these comparisons with teams like the SEC, from the SEC and the ACC. And the way I, expo- I like to explain it is, just pretend that all these teams have a, a ton of chips at the beginning of the season. And when they perform better in one of those comparisons, they get some chips from the team they beat in those comparisons, and they exchange all these chips. Well, what happens is the Big Ten performed very well in November and December, and so they gained all this, all these chips. And then what happened, the, the Big Ten said, okay, we're done with our non-conference schedule. Now we're just going to play each other. And now they're exchanging chips within the conference. So you may see fluctuations where – one team from the Big Ten rises, another one drops, but the groundwork was set early on in the season, and that's why the Big Ten was up in my rankings very early, and they're still there now. I want to get into a couple of the features of your website. Um, one is how your algorithm measures and factors in uh, who's playing well right now, and another is your bracketology predictions that are listed on the site. So kind of lumping those two together, I, I picked some numbers that illustrated how or who's playing well at the moment? For example, Penn State is around number thirty in your rankings, and they're they're at twelve and seventeen this year. Illinois is a team that's at forty nine with an eleven and eighteen record. Those teams are both ahead of Indiana, that's on the bubble right now, 
at 52. So, you know, those two teams obviously can't get at large bids while Indiana probably still can. So how does an example like that factor into your bracketology predictions when you expand it out to other teams? It does, it does factor in there. And when you look at the performance rankings, I always tell people and say, well, how can that 12 and 17 team be up there at number 30? Remember, first of all, it's looking at performance. So you, uh, and I, I say take the extreme situation. If a team might be the 10th best team in the country, if they faced the, the top nine teams in the country and lost them all, they'd be 0-9. But if they lost every game by one, that's still a pretty good team. That's now, granted, that's an extreme example, but that's the idea. Uh, Penn State has been very competitive with a lot of good teams, and on top of that, they've had a lot of momentum. Now, one of the things that I do is I, I burn off a lot of the older games. So a lot of the, the old data burns off at a rate of 1.5% a day, and that equates to a game from about a month and a half ago having about half the weight of a game that happens today. So in the situation of Penn State and, and very similarly Illinois, teams that have played well as of late, they've shot to the top while other teams who haven't played all that well have dropped. Now, that's only half of the, not even half of the equation when it comes to bracketology. Bracketology factors in how good a team is playing right now, but at the same time, and probably a bigger deal, is resume. Your wins, your losses, those absolutely count. If we're looking just at performance ratings, why do you even play the game? So you're still going to look at the scoreboard. Wins and losses count, including wins and losses against the top 25 or the top 50. Those have extra bonuses, road wins, things like that. All this information gets folded into my numbers, and that's why you see the bracketology at the very bottom of my page differs somewhat from the performance rankings at the top. Sure, and what about injuries? Uh, The biggest example, I think, in the Big Ten right now would be Nick Ward's injury from Michigan State. I noticed that you currently have in your bracketology prediction uh, Michigan as a number one seed over Michigan State, who obviously beat them already, and uh, they still have to play another game this upcoming weekend. So does your... Uh, bracketology system take injuries into account, and why would uh, would Michigan, for example, be slated over Michigan State right now? Well, when it comes to injuries, the answer to that one is, and I get asked that question quite a bit, and the answer is no. Injuries are not factored in explicitly. Uh, the analytics treat each team as a constant throughout the season. So what happens is, now it, it'll be treated implicitly, and the reason I say that is because Michigan State is treated as a team that was you know, half the season with Josh Langford, half the season without Josh Langford, and then probably 80% of the season with Nick Ward and the last 20% without Nick Ward. So it's all kind of averaged out throughout the year. So like I said, it's not explicitly taken into account, but it's implicitly taken into account. Now, why Michigan can land there right now at the one seed? Well, that's hard to answer because right now some of these teams right around that two line and at the bottom of the one line are very tightly packed. I saw, I've already seen Gonzaga at that fourth uh, fourth number one seed here in the last five or six days. Now they're at the fourth number two seed, but they fluctuate so much because they're so tightly packed that a win by a Kentucky or a Tennessee tomorrow can all of a sudden relegate Michigan back to that two line. So it's going to look at the entire body of work, and right now, just as it happens with the chips fall, Michigan lands at that, that fourth number one seed. All right, Eric, so last year we were talking, we discussed how the Big Ten was down relatively last year and had just four teams in the NCAA tournament. So this year we're going to have a little more fun with the bubble discussion. Right now it looks like they'll get six minimum, potentially nine, if Indiana somehow plays themselves back in. So talking bubble teams, we'll start with a team 
that, as of this recording, picked up a big win last night. That's Minnesota uh, with their victory over Purdue. Currently, they're in your bracket. Uh, advanced metrics, I think, have been down on them most of the year. The net and Ken Palm uh, have not loved Minnesota, and that's been something that's been brought to discussion in press conferences with Richard Pitino. He's even addressed it directly. It's just been an issue all year. So what does your uh, rankings think of Minnesota, and do you think they're in now after beating Purdue, regardless of what happens going forward? I think they're in pretty good shape right now. I think that Purdue win was huge. They were they weren't in real danger. I thought if they would have lost that game, they probably could have slipped pretty close to a date and play in game. But um, the win over Purdue is huge. Purdue is a, a, a very very good team, and so getting that win, I think, is going to secure them a spot. I agree with the the with the um, um, analytics where if you look at Minnesota, they're ranked 48th in my performance rankings. That's not particularly great. But again, bracketology is a lot about the wins and losses and the strength of schedule. So right now, as a result of that win yesterday, that takes Minnesota up to my top 10 seed right now, um, the top most 10 seed. So you're talking about eight teams between them and even the Dayton play-in games right now. So I'm thinking they probably have you know a little bit of room now, a little cushion to, to drop a game, and they could probably drop two. And if, if they can drop two, then I think they're probably going to be in the tournament. How about Ohio State? A lot of it's going to depend on how they fare tonight against Northwestern, so this will be a little dated, but uh, what do you think they have to do? Or are they in danger of falling out? Uh, Minnesota? Ohio State, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State is, yeah, they, they've got the, the Western situation they got to deal with, and they have plummeted. This is a team that was probably right around the 7th line, 8th line, for a good chunk of February, and all of a sudden now they're down in the 10th line. I think they're in a little bit more danger right now than Minnesota. Um, uh, but they're probably a, a little bit above what Minnesota was yesterday before the Purdue win. So I don't think they're in a lot of danger yet either. But all of a sudden you string together a couple more losses. Yeah, you're probably, you know, talking about getting close to that Dayton playing game. But, you know, it's the bubble. It's You, you never know what's going to happen. If those teams in the bubble keep losing, it doesn't matter if Ohio State's going to keep losing because if everybody below them loses, then they're going to retain their current position. And that's been the story this year is that the bubble teams that have had opportunities to climb up just have continuously failed to do so this year. All right, on to a team that's fascinating to me just because how skewed their numbers are in conference versus uh, non-conference play and just the discussion that it's generated as of late. That's Indiana. What does Indiana have to do to play themselves into the tournament? Currently they're out on your website. I, th- I would think that a loss to Illinois or Rutgers – in their last two games would put them out, although I'll leave it to you, the expert. What does Indiana have to, have to do, and what can they not afford to do the rest of the season? Well, you know what? It's going to be interesting. And, and the thing is, you know, though my analytics may reveal a team is you know, right there on the borderline, and uh, the selection committee could very easily eye test anybody else for any reason whatsoever. And the thing is, if Indiana is going to get in as an at-large, they're going to get in as an at-large with 15 losses, which I believe has only happened maybe once, and I want to say two years ago Vanderbilt did it with 15 losses. And you got to look at what Indiana did. They got off to a great start this year, 12-2, and but all of a sudden you lose seven straight. You get that win over Michigan State, but then you drop five straight after that, and now you follow that up with two wins, uh, Wisconsin and Michigan State. So now you get back-to-back games. you got Illinois, you got Rutgers. And then you probably got a cupcake in the Big Ten tournament. And I even got the question today and said, if they win those last two, and then they win the first one in the Big Ten tournament, are they in? And my answer to that one is not necessarily. 
because none of, none of those three games are really going to move the needle. Um, Illinois and Rutgers, not particularly great teams by Big Ten standards. Whoever um, uh, Indiana is going to face in that first game of the Big Ten tournament, probably not going to be that great. But I, so I'm thinking to get in, they got to win these two. They probably got to win the first in the Big Ten tournament, and just for insurance purposes, they got to win that second game. If they win those four games, then I think they have a legitimate shot to to get in there. It's unbelievable that they still have a shot. I, I mean, they were left for dead by pretty much everyone, me included, when they were you know, losing those seven games in a row and then 12 out of 14 or whatever it was. And the reason we're talking about these teams is because of that aforementioned weak bubble. It feels like every year that the bubble gets weaker and weaker. So I want to lean on you to put into layman's terms what makes a weak bubble and why this year is it so particularly, um, I guess, Weak, weaker than usual. You know, it's it's just kind of a feel for it. And, and believe it or not, it's actually a common complaint every year. I think everybody always says, "Oh, the bubble's terrible this year." Oh, the bubble's terrible. And and I kind of always have to remind people that it, it's it's kind of tough to fill thirty six at large teams. I still say, you know, there's people saying, "Oh, Indiana shouldn't be nowhere near there," or "St. Mary should be nowhere near there." And you go and look and say, "Hey, I got to pick thirty six teams somehow." So some of these teams right around the cut line are going to be really rather mediocre. Uh, <clears throat> now, what I think contributes to a weak bubble is when I start seeing in my site, my projections, teams that are, are the final at largest, if they start landing right around that the bottom of the 12 line or the 13 line, it's kind of a weak bubble. You want to start seeing at large teams that are probably more on the, the borderline 12, 11, as opposed to the 13 and 12. And that's what I'm seeing right now on my site the last two at-large teams that are projected in by my algorithms are fighting for a 13 seed. That's that's because a lot of the, um, the auto bids coming from the mid-majors are above those at-larges right now. Sure, so if you're a fan of Indiana, Ohio State, or Minnesota, who should you root for or root against as conference tournament week approaches? There's going to be some other bubble teams and other conferences. Uh, which conferences would you worry about? bid stealers popping up, and uh, maybe other bubble teams that are, are lurking? The bid stealers are going to come out of the mid-majors like the MAC and uh, the WCC. So really right now, these are the te- these are some really good conferences, but they look like they're one-bid conferences right now. But what happens if Gonzaga loses to San Francisco or, or St. Mary's? St. Those St. Mary's or San Francisco will get a bid that they normally wouldn't have gotten, so that's going to steal, um, take an Indiana away or a Seton Hall or a St. Mary's away. Um, all these teams are trying to get in. Um, another example would be like the MAC, Buffalo. They're probably getting in as, a, as the only one, assuming they win the conference tournament. If they don't, and a Toledo or a Ball State takes it, another at-large bid goes away. Same thing goes for the SOCON. A lot of people love the SoCon this year because you got uh, Furman in there, you got Wofford, you got uh, UNC Greensboro, you got East Tennessee State. Any of those teams could win that conference tournament, and if they do, you know, Wofford's getting in, but the rest of them, I'm not so sure. So again, you're talking possibly three, four, five, even uh, bid stealers, and all of a sudden these teams that are sitting there, you know, at, at the top of the list in Dayton right now, they could find themselves out of the field completely on Selection Sunday. All right, Eric, a lot of good stuff. Before I let you go, I need to ask about a Big Ten team that's kind of confounded me all year because they're so hard to evaluate you know, using the eye test. And I don't know how the, the numbers back it up, uh, 
But I, I want to get your thoughts on Iowa because, you know, you watch them play and they have the talent to be an NCAA tournament team. They are going to be an NCAA tournament team, but they're just so up and down and they're so, there's so much variance in their play. And I just want to know how your numbers evaluate a team like that that has varied so widely and if it, I know you can talk about momentum, if it, if it can put a value on teams getting hot, especially in game like they seem to do uh, when they were on their stretch of winning basketball here. Yeah, you know, it's the, my analytics have not really been in love with Iowa this year. They really identified them as a little bit weaker than a lot of people thought. So I think people had Iowa really in um, early as a, like a top 25 team, really fueled by that win over Iowa State back then. But, you know, now all of a sudden Iowa State is struggling a little bit more. And I look at Iowa and say for the, for the most of the month of January and February, they fell in that I don't know, 40 to, to 30 range in my in my rankings. Um, lately, they've slid just a little bit. They're down at number 46 right now, and that's largely because they had that loss to Rutgers. was rated by my site to be the second-worst performance of the year for Iowa. Um, offensively, they got no problems. This is a team that's 14th in offensive efficiency. You know, a team gets, gets to the foul line really well, can sink their three-pointers, 50th in three-point percentage, 41st in field goal percentage. The problem is they're a little bit of a one-trick pony because you go to the other end of the floor, 124th in the country in defensive efficiency. That's not very good, and they're going to have to do better than, better, better than that in March if they want to advance. Yeah, and the crazy thing is that defensive efficiency number is so improved from last year and just across the board gotten so much better and it's still like middle of the pack nationally um and, and still not good enough at times so they definitely have work to do uh last thing eric that stuck stood out to me when looking over your site is how your rankings measure who might be vulnerable and i also was scrolling through your twitter feed today and you were talking about a potential michigan virginia matchup so i'm going to kind of blend two questions together here one who might be vulnerable um as in this year's virginia that fell last year um in the first round and and maybe not historic upset terms but a team that all year you know is maybe hung around in the rankings but is slipping as we move into march madness and then also on top of that uh i want to get your thoughts on that michigan virginia matchup you hypothesized about on twitter today i think that'd be fun just because of the defensive uh you know alignments of those teams and, and how they play um they're kind of Similar brands of basketball um, in the ACC and Big Ten. Yep, absolutely. Uh, as far as who would be vulnerable, boy, that is a tough call. And, you know, I was discussing this with my friend Michael Hunter from ACC Bleacher Report, and he was saying, you know what it is? The team that's vulnerable is the team you least expect. Whenever you pick your brackets and there's, you come across a few, you know, three versus four teams or four thirteens, and you go, I'm not even looking at that. When you, the ones where you just don't even think. Like last year for me, the example of that was Wichita State and Marshall. I didn't consider Marshall at anything. I was like, oh, Wichita State, they got the experience, they got the balance, they got this. I wrote in Wichita State across the board, and they lost. <laughs> so I always joke with the tournament, but the term you always hear me say about the tournament is it's Thunderdome. You, it's, it's mayhem. It's pandemonium. You, you don't know what to expect. But with that Virginia-Michigan uh, matchup, it's kind of – I hypothesized about that because that would be really intriguing. That's a Virginia team that is far and away the best three-point shooting team in the country right now. Against the generic average, uh, generically average Division One opponent, they would – Virginia would c- convert on 45.5% of their three-point shots. So you're talking over 45% of their threes, they're confer- converting. They shot 72% the other night in their blowout victory. Um so they are outstanding from there. But you're playing against a Michigan team 
such an intriguing matchup because Michigan really runs opponents off that three-point line. They're third in the country in defensive efficiency. They're third in three-point attempt rate on defense, meaning that teams just don't get a lot of shots off behind the three-point arc. And when teams do get shots off behind the three-point arc, Michigan is second in the country in defensive three-point percentage, 27.4%, which is a horrible percentage shooting against Michigan. That's how good Michigan's defense is. So if you put those teams together, boy, that would be really intriguing. Probably not a sexy matchup from an up-tempo because um, Michigan is 324th in game pace, whereas Virginia is dead last, 353rd. It's not going to be an up-and-down game. But at the same time, kind of a chess match. Very intriguing. All right, awesome analysis, Eric. And for someone like me who is not as analytically inclined but is trying to learn and trying to uh, get better at understanding some of the metrics, this kind of discussion is great. And once again, really thorough analysis. Really appreciate you jumping on and uh, making some sense of March Madness that's to come here. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. All right, thank you once again to Eric Haslam for joining me. Thanks as well to Brad Evans. Both great guys that possess a wealth of knowledge. And um, like I said, their information, which is available online, um, is a great resource as we head into bracket season here. Uh, We'll find guys who know more about the sport of college basketball. So give them a follow and bookmark their websites as we move forward here in the month of March. All right, thanks to everyone out there for listening. Thanks, as always, to my producers, Wes White, Julie Bronder, Colleen Degnan, who will get on our next episode for some Call for the Culture. We'll get Harold Shelton back on as well to break down and give his uh, analytical insight, which is second to none, uh, coming up on the next episode, which will come out early next week before the Big Ten Tournament. So plenty of stuff coming up next week. We'll have some interviews from the Big Ten Tournament. We'll have uh, some preview content and uh, just a lot of good stuff as we get ready for a fun week here in Chicago. Thanks again to everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.